Weirdness. Darkness. Barbed wire. So I've done my shopping list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to Frame by Frame. This is Andy. Hello, guys. And I'm, I'm of course, the other guy. Yeah. Stephen. That's it. The man from the other place. The man from the other place. Now, Andy is the man in the blue shirt, and I am the guy with three t-shirts. Because I'm cold. (laughs) (laughs) So you two more Lynch characters to... uh, Yeah, um, well, today we're going to be talking about a film. Yes. But first we're going to... We'll watch it, hey. Yeah, because neither of us has had a chance to watch Blue Velvet yet. So, yeah, um, so if I could just... I've, I've got it on my phone here, so if we just... Oh, get, great, just great. Just it up. Oh, right. here we go. Hang on. Is that the telephone? Who is it? I don't know. Shall I have a look? Yeah. Hello? Now, if you're playing the movie on a telephone, you will never in a trillion years experience the film. You'll think you have experienced it, but you'll be cheated. It's such a sadness that you think you've seen a film on your fucking telephone. Get real. Okay, well that's us told. Okay, so we're not going to watch Blue Velvet on the phone. Let's uh, stop it and we'll watch it on the TV to, so we don't upset David anymore. You talking to me? Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Well, who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? I'm funny how. I mean, funny. I'm Peter Vinkman. We all go a little mad sometimes. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So we're here on the other side. Wow. Maybe I should say the clock is running. Yeah, because that hashtag really caught them. <laughs> the clock is running! And it's 8pm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, right, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. And we're also later going to talk about rabbits, which is why I'm saying weird stuff. Yeah. But <laughs> what else is new? So, first of all, Blue Velvet. Uh, what's the year, Andy? 1986? Yes. Yep. Yes, the year of change. Indeed. Yes. It's the uh, the new era of Lynch. And... Um, um, what a way to start well yeah hour. because prior to this obviously we had a race ahead mm-hmm. bizarre yeah gotta watch that again yeah incredible film and then he did Elephant Man still haven't had the um, have you ever watched Elephant Man never had the pleasure alright that's, that's really good and then we have Dune Dune yes which 
Yeah, D- Dune. I, I watch it in two ways. On my own, I can watch it and really enjoy it as a sci-fi. Yeah. Or I can watch it with my wife and we just have a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> because there are some, you know, bizarre things in that movie too. Well, obviously the, st- the studio got hold of it and completely butchered it. Butchered it. And the intro with all the uh, it's like a a story at the beginning, yeah. <laughs> like a ten minute intro. But interestingly. Prior to that, Lynch had turned down directing Return of the Jedi to do Dune. Yes. Which I would have loved to have seen David Lynch's Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I mean, maybe J.J. Abrams can do something with that. Maybe Disney can... It wouldn't be what Lynch would have done with it, though, would it? No, but... Imagine Lynch... Lynch of now. Yeah, Lynch (laughs) Ewoks. Yeah, there'll be be dwarfs. Dwarf talking backwards, (laughs) get forward. And it won't be in a forest, it'll be in a room. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, to make Blue Velvet, because obviously Dune had been such a flop, he took a pay cut. Yeah. He said he'd make the film for like six million instead of ten million, I think it was. And he took a pay cut himself just to get this film made. Oh. So their budget was really low. Yeah. And he yeah, literally just lived on air. Yeah. And uh, As all artists should do. Well, yeah, I think artists always thrive on... Fear. Yeah, restrictions. Yes, know. restrictions, yeah. So, um, what a film. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably where he works best, when he's got that pressure, and I think, yeah. I think what happened afterwards was um, was him just having fun. Well, I think because of his... He, what he experienced with the studio was completely ripping apart his, his idea of Dune that he decided that he will not make Blue Velvet unless he has final cut of the film. Exactly. And that's why he took a pay cut. I will take a pay cut as long as I get final cut of the film. Yeah. A lot of negotiating. Imagine that for this film, he was really, really careful mm. every step of the way. I mean, um, then you've got the, the casting. You've got, yeah. uh, so you've got well, Kyle McLaughlin, which obviously he met on Dune. Yes. Thought, Started a friendship. Yeah, I thought, I can use this guy. Um, we've got Laura Dern, which was the start of his relationship with Laura Dern as well. Yes. Because when he finds actors he likes, he um, he stays with them, doesn't he? And he uses them time and time again. And I think that's kind of the, the, the trope of many good directors who want to focus on story first. Yeah. They don't want to worry about the actors. They don't want to worry about temperament or not being able to look, look at a camera properly. You know, they want people who they can rely on time after time. Yeah, yeah. And also through recommendations who who they actually are friends with mm. to expand that, that, that room, so to speak. The, uh, the room. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's dipped in here as well. I mean, like he did with Dune, he, he, was, he dipped into a lot of uh, unusual choices for roles. Um, Dean Stockwell was also in there. Yeah. And uh, Dean and Dennis were pals, so that was a free recommendation. Right. Um, but of course, everybody loved Dean Stockwell. He's he's rock solid. He can do anything. You know, just put him in. Just put him in a movie, and he'll just act his heart out. Yeah, he's very odd in this film. He is very he odd. Acts very, you know, he likes he likes dreamy. his makeup. Yeah, in dreams. Exactly. You know, it's all yeah. sort of linked. So, what's the obviously we've got? Yeah, Isabella Rossellini. Isabella Rossellini. So it's a compelling cast. Yeah, compelling. Interesting. He wanted Helen Mirren for the part. 
Really? Yeah, and they were in negotiations, but she dropped out last minute, and he met Isabella Rossellini. That's kind of interesting, because he never worked with her, uh, ever, still. He still hasn't worked with Helen Mirren. Yeah, but he supposedly finds his, his people, yeah. and, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah, exactly. But Isabella Rossellini was pretty high, hot at the time, and uh, I think, um, oh, hang on, wasn't, didn't, weren't they married for a while? They struck up a relationship after this. After this. She just split up with Martin Scorsese. Oh, of course, yes. She's she's had an incredible... uh, (laughs) Uh, And once again, by the way, Aspen is in the background. So, what's the film about? Okay. Um, In short, it's a mystery. Yeah. Um, It starts off with Carl McLaughlin um, having a wander through a a kind of just a a rough patch of of ground. um, Well, rough patch. In life, his dad's um, had to stroke. Was it? Yeah, stroke. And yeah. He's, he's in a hospital, so um, he's unable to talk very well. So on the way back from the hospital, he's um, he was looking. What was he looking for? He was throwing. Was he throwing things, or he was picking things up? To he was just throwing things. He was trying to smash yeah. that bottle, wasn't he? Yeah, trying to smash a bottle, and uh, I think it was just a kind of a. There's a angst you know the, 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 it's one of those things when you actually are in a kind of a place emotionally breaking stuff is kind of a, a release but anyway instead of um, that he finds an ear yeah he finds an ear in the ground and it's covered in ants which is a, a feature of one of um, one of the things about um, Blue Velvet is that it, it, it crawls on the underground of what's not seen and what not necessarily uh, yeah. is, is normal and finding an ear he takes it to the police and the police kind of start doing background checks the daughter of the police officer then teams up with Carl McLaughlin and they kind of start to investigate the origin of the ear and the mystery behind it and, and, and what it all could mean. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah. And then it kind of evolves drastically into meeting different characters such as Isabella Rossellini who is a... Um, she's a musician. She's a singer. She's a singer, yeah. She uh husband and kid have been taken from her yes so, so she's uh, so a guy who's like the head of this gang i guess yep can basically tell her and do what he wants with her yeah so and and she's she's kind of going through these uh, different stages of um sadist masochism mm. and which is kind of like a punishment thing you know she's punishing herself for yeah. not being able to control the situation and get her kid back get her husband back and um you know this is this is how Dennis Hopper is, is getting his yayas by using her as a, well, let's just put it bluntly, a sex toy. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. And um, she's just basically trying to, just to get through it, I think. Mm. I think a lot of it's it's kind of like just blindsiding herself off to just to just try and, and just go through it. Because at the end, you know, she's going to get her kid back. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting... Um, profile on how um, what a mother would do for a kid. Because really, in Lynch terms, this yeah. is a fairly <laughs> straightforward narrative story. Very straightforward, but it's just it just goes deep. Well, it's, on, the it's on the ground. It's it's on surface and it's way underground. Well, that's yeah. and it's blatant at the very beginning, isn't it? Where yeah. um, you've got the white picket fence, the beautiful flowers, the nice thing that the, yeah, the slow motion fire truck going by. Yeah, white it's, picket it's, fence America, and yeah. then uh, and then you got the guy who's just watering his lawn. He has the stroke. 
comes down, and then it just sort of goes into the grass. Yeah. Then into the grass, and you see all the insects that are under there, all the beetles and stuff. Yeah. And which, which is basically, um, it's um, the whole uh, move under the ground is a foreshadowing of what what's to come. Yeah, yeah. But also, it's um, like nothing is as it is seems on the surface. Yeah, exactly. It's a lovely neighbourhood. What's going on beneath? You know, yeah. just like our neighbourhood. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so everything's in in motion. Lordern kind of becomes the um, the catalyst for uh, the kind of the excitement for. Um, well, uh, after he's found the Karma Cochlum, yeah, later on he goes back to the policeman's house. Yes, yeah, and tries to get involved in it and find out because he's really interested. But obviously, he can't get involved because it's a police matter. Yeah, so as he walks yeah. out, Laura Dern's there. I think a lot of what he's doing as well is is he's trying to distract himself. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's uh, it's a coping mechanism for um, dealing with his father. So I think him getting in into this yeah. case, having this fascination with this case, is kind of just a distraction. Yeah, so he's not um, surprised that. Yeah, which uh, you know, and also the connection with his um, with his dad as well, because everybody knows who he is. So, so mm. yeah, he probably feels as though he kind of has um, the ability to get more information because of sympathy vote. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she comes out from the darkness. That's a beautiful shot, isn't it? it it's memorable, yeah. and um, it, in 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 no way influenced our CACO three. Oh, absolutely not. Because I'd never actually thought about that because I hadn't seen the movie until then. Oh, until have you not seen this no, movie? No, no. Oh, I haven't right. seen this movie yet until after that. Right. Um, so I was quite surprised to see the uh, the emergence of a person in in darkness. Yeah. But. Where this is kind of a literal term, ours was a metaphor. But the whole thing in that that part of CACO three is totally Lynch. It was, but a, the lot, of, a lot of it was. Of it. Yeah. That's what yeah. Lynch does. It was completely stolen. Well, not, not entirely. It, it was because what we were doing. I think our influences and our obsessions, of course, with the Lynchian style. It, it, it's the thing is every single filmmaker kind of runs with that feeling anyway you know they run with influence yeah and um, I think we were able to kind of hone in on our own little things I mean uh, that, that we, we, just, we did subtle camera movements that we, we, we've never seen before mm. we did observational shots we did uh, the glove compartment thing um, but that, I think I can see that what we were trying to do was, was something that was on that level and I think that everything that, that we've ever we could possibly do is going to have some sort of influence with David yeah. Lynch I can't imagine not making something no, absolutely. Like that yeah. because he's such a, a strong film. He, he is film. He is just. It, Did you say he's one yeah. of? He's definitely one of. But is he the most important director to emerge out of the eighties and nineties? Definitely, definitely. And I think that his his ability to turn down projects such as Return of the Jedi it shows that he's not there just for for fortune and glory. Yeah, fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. He's there because of the art, and and you can see that from from a razor head, yeah. um, the the angst and the and the the the, uh, the time spent on it, um, eating sandwiches at three a.m. and 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 him and his, his wife, I think at the time was it, or his girlfriend. Were I making think it, it was. Yeah, they were they were literally just living, breathing this movie. I tell you, if we could have that here. That would be a dream come true. Yeah, you know, that would be amazing. But then, you know, I, 
he uses incredible visuals to sometimes just tell a basic story. Like, Eraserhead really is just a guy who has a baby yeah. with, um, like, his girlfriend, I suppose. They weren't expecting the baby. There's something wrong with the baby. The wife can't cope with it anymore. She leaves home. Yeah. And he's only left to kill a kid. But, yeah, exactly. Essentially what the film is. It's, it's, it's a weird. broken yeah. marriage, broken relationship with a kid involved. Yeah, and, and that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's simple, but... And, 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 you know, it's usually just... The thing about Lynch is that he likes rooms. Everything is set in a room. Mm. If it's not that room, it's the next room. And then things happen. And it's it's kind of... It's, it's very simple, but it's it gives him a chance to kind of add layers. So many layers, because what... what some directors try and do to try and be clever is they they try and do all these sweeping camera movements and they have to do the longest shot or they do transition shots through to this vehicle shots round shots running shots they try and do shots that nobody's ever done before they try and do the elusive yeah i've never seen that before thing and with lynch a lot of his stuff is locked off a lot of it's just actors acting a scene out and there's there's not a lot of of complication in the setup of it all. And it, it's just players meeting with players, talking to each other. Something happens. Think the story evolves. But what he does is so incredibly genius. Is that he uses that little blocked off shot, and he fills it with every single corner has a meaning. Every single light, shadow, uh, piece of equipment, furniture, um, the shape of a clock. Uh, everything has a meaning. Yeah. Even though when you look at it, you could just say, oh, it's just a basic room. There's nothing, you know, but there's always so much thought into every single job. Absolutely. And, some t- and I think a lot of the time, it's forcing you to stir into something you'd want to stir away from. Yeah, yeah, true. So you're stirring it right in the eye and he yeah. leaves it for you to keep on watching. That's how his films sort of get into you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, but le- you remember. It, le- it leaves its disease in you. It, you remember every it, single image. It leaves its disease in you. It leaves its disease in you. And that's where you get your strength from. That's Blue Velvet. That's what she says when he's, you know. Anyway. Is that when she's being cut? or No, that's after him and uh, her and Kyle's. Yeah. And Jeff- Jeffrey? Yeah. It's Jeffrey in the film, isn't he? Jeffrey. Yeah. Jeffrey, yeah. Uh, when they've had sex. And she's like, "You've left your disease. Your disease is still in me, and that's where it and it gives me strength." It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. Wow. But you know, s- simple things become, yeah, hauntingly. Well, this is what I said before story. we started this. It's like you watch a Lynch film different than you watch anything else. Yeah, yeah. Because even like Lars von Trier and stuff like that are very sort of sur- kind of surreal filmmakers in in, yeah. a, in a sense. Um. You watch a Lynch film and everything in it, you try to think, right, what does he mean by that? What does that mean? Does that symbolise something? But it something? becomes a print on your head and in your mind. I mean, you watch, you can watch a Martin Scorsese film and you can barely remember what a set looks like. Yeah. You, you just know that stuff happens in that movie and it was exciting and it was booming and there was music. But it, And it's all distraction as far as I'm concerned. But what Lynch does is he, he doesn't let you get distracted. Mm. He makes you remember. It's like staring. It's like staring at a photograph, and then someone going, "Look at that! Did you see that? Look at that! Can you see that? Yeah. Look at that!" 
and he's just hammering it into your mind, into your memory. Mm. And that's that's the power of him. And I don't know how he does it. But nobody, you know, it just seems so memorable. Yeah. It's intense. And Love it. Like, And the nudity in this film, any time you ever see anyone naked, it's never for titillation. It's You're always right. like a turn-off. It's nothing that could make you go, oh. Uh, it's always... It's not, not a basic instinct kind of No, movie. exactly, no, you know what no. I mean? It's, um, and, like, the one time you really see Isabella Rossellini naked is when she's outside the yeah. house waiting for him. She's all bruised and bashed, and it's exactly. not... Exactly, and it's not... And you, do you know where that comes from? What's that? When Lynch was walking to school, or walking from school one day with his friend, he saw a naked woman walking across the street mm. and instead of being titillated by it the, it actually made them both cry because it was so upsetting upsetting for yeah, them yeah. and you remember that and that's why he brought it into Blue Velvet but so. that, that's where it, I mean I think he puts a lot of himself in there a lot of himself of course himself. he does yeah, that, yeah I think that's it's why very, he yeah. really gets to you because you can see it's everything about a Lynch piece is him putting a bit more of himself out there all the time. I, I think, think the only know. other director that's ever done that to me was is, is Coppola. Yeah. Um, who he tends to kind of put things in there that are so personal and so memorable. And I think that, that that's 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 the the form of a really good director. It's the same same as an artist. I mean, people remember the most amazing pieces of art over, over the centuries. And mm. there's an image: the girl with the pearl earring, the the, the Mona Lisa. Uh, that one's a bit overrated. The Sistine Chapel, uh, the, the touching fingers of Michelangelo, or whatever that is. Yeah. I don't know what it is. That's what it's called, the touching fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Again, though, yeah. a line in this film, Van Gogh, gets mentioned, doesn't it? Yeah? Yeah, I forgot the line. I did it as a. You stay alive, baby. Do it for Van Gogh. That's the line. Nice. Not sure what it means, but there we go. So with with Blue Velvet, it's um, it gets under your skin. I watched it with Catherine the, the last time I watched it, yeah. and um, she seemed okay with with it, uh, um, uh, especially the the humour in the beginning of Laura Dern and Karma Coughlin when they're trying to get information about the woman. When they're trying to get information about the cl- and, and they decide to go in as bug infest, uh, he goes in as a, a bug guy. Yeah. That's right. That's quite interesting. All I that, love that. All those bits are very. Um, it's like on purpose. It's very cheesy detective. Yeah, it's on purpose. But exactly. It's meant to detract you from what's about to come. Even the way the act is a little bit cheesy and a little bit. Yeah, because it softens the blow. It kind of makes it easier to go to. And then the, the contrast is so extreme. Exactly. Once, the, yeah. It, again, it's. It's about getting under, isn't it? Getting beneath the yeah. moment. Start on the surface and you work with Yeah. So everything's exciting, but the moment uh, he gets into the cupboard, that's when it all changes. Yeah, yeah. So he's in it's, the cupboard and he's watching uh, Dorothy Valens. Is it? Yeah. I think it's Dorothy. Uh, yeah, he's watching her get, you know, essentially get changed and stuff. And yes. Then, you know, and um, she catches him in there. But instead of get out get out what are you doing she makes him take his clothes off and then yeah and this was this was i could see the change in Catherine when we were watching this yeah and when that's that happened and she goes what why is she doing that she doesn't know him i'm like 
Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. She's, you know, this, this, yeah. Well, that's the thing that, like, yeah, in any normal person, and like I said, up to that point, apart from the beginning and the the, ord- the ordinary person, this is a this is a mindfuck for them. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, because then she's like on her knees, yeah. takes his pants, you know, his shorts down, and he's exp- he's exposed. Then and yes. all of a sudden, all the power is in her is to yeah. her. Yeah, and which is how she's dealing with yeah. things it's not it's not then it's not as if she wants to do this she's just trying to find a way of having control of a situation yeah and that's what it is yeah and then it looks like it's about to go that way and then the power shifts again because then he's Frank turns up yes she turns up yeah so and the weird the thing about this is you're watching something horrific but you're in the same shoes as Kyle McLaughlin because he's stuck in the cupboard having to watch what's about to happen to this woman. Yeah, yeah. That he's clearly very attracted to. Yeah, yeah. And that's horrific. Mommy. Oh, mommy. 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 Baby wants to fuck her. Get ready to fuck! You fuckers, fucker! You fucker! Don't you fucking look at me! Yeah, to actually see it all and to kind of react to it as well, and I just hiding in the cupboard. Yeah, uh, but because the, the use of because that's yeah. such a clever way of making a film yeah. is to essentially be him stuck in that cupboard having to watch what's about to happen to her yeah. and powerless to do anything about it and that's why it makes it so compelling yeah and that's so why why it makes it shocking you, you, you can't you can't walk away from the situation because you like you say because you are in Carl McLaughlin's shoes yeah you don't feel as though you can you can let it go and yeah. that's that's the mark of a good character to, to that, that's when you really get invested in the character and then but because you just you just have that feeling of, of, of fear for him and for her as well. Yeah. It's, it's a very strong visual. Loved it. So, yeah, our first introduction to Frank then. Yes, Frank comes in. And yeah, well, oh, that was going to say, there's an awful lot of don't look at me in it. When Kyle looks at Isabel, it's like, don't look at me, look away. You know, really? and then when she looks at Frank, Frank's like, don't look at me, you fuck. You know, and all yeah, that. Yeah. That means something. Not being able to look at someone or. Because it's about the gaze, 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 female gaze, looking like. Um, okay, so you, you said before that uh, the, the 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 idea of nakedness is is kind of like you you're drawn to it because you're gazing in wonderment, usually mm. in titillation. Um, but everything is kind of the opposite here. So the the one thing that you have when you're actually intimate with somebody is you you look at them, you want to look and enjoy and everything, and, and the whole idea of not looking, well, it's it's pushing. It's pushing and subverting everything. Yeah, well, I don't think as much as not looking at the the bodies. It's like you're not looking into their eyes. It's the soul. Yeah, it's, the, it's uh, like I don't need to see see me. Yeah, I hate yeah. myself. I'm, 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 I'm. This isn't me here. This yeah. isn't me right now. I, if you start looking into the camera of my eyes, then then you're going to destroy me. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to let that happen. Yeah. But what a awful character <laughs> he is, and. It amazes me how Dennis Hopper or characters 
character actors, he is a character actor like that, can actually get so close to these characters. Yeah. So deeply close to them and to, and to not get lost in that. Like, famously, um, Dennis Hopper rung Lynch up and said, I am Frank Booth. It is me. That is yeah, me. Yeah, I yeah. need to play that character. I am Frank Booth, you know. David was in uh, North Carolina. I called him on the phone. And uh, I said, I know we haven't met, but don't worry, because I am Frank Booth, which uh, he seemed to be very thrilled about hearing. I, and then I understand he got off the phone and he told Isabella and Kyle, he said, oh, my God, I just talked to Dennis Hopper. And he said, don't worry about Frank Booth. I am Frank Booth. He said, that's great for the picture, but how are we going to have lunch with him? I was caught in a, in a, in a bind because I didn't want to know anybody th like that. And yet, uh, for the film, I had to have that person. And how was it to direct Frank? It was great. Dennis was Frank, but he was also somebody else, too. So uh, it worked out, you know, extremely well. He's so straight, it's very difficult to think that he has such a twisted, sick mind. <laughs> Our dear David. And Lynch talks so... Cause, okay. Yeah, exactly. He's such a delicate... Eloquent. Yeah, a guy, and he's like, okay, Dennis, yeah, all right, you know, well, if you think you're that person. if you think you're that person, then I'll see what I can do. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. And, I'm uh, going to go and transcendentationally meditate. <laughs> all those words. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, it, it was a good choice. And he's like terrifying. Say, he's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Imagine if he lived on our estate. God. <sighs> Yeah, hey neighbor. Hi neighbor. Go for a joyride, neighbor. Come on, get in my car. They initially tried helium with that. But now we just yeah. He said it was just a, it would be yeah, ridiculous. Save that for Twin Peaks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. And, and that then whole it... scene, and again, it's it's strange where she's like, he punches her in the face for looking at him, and then she turns her head back and she's smiling. Like, yeah, I mean, that's that straw dogs of you know, is she? Yeah. Is, is it because she's still alive and she's kind of like thinking, she's, I'm still here? She's just feeling something. There's something I'm, I'm yeah. still, I'm still in here, and uh, you know, maybe, he, maybe she broke him in that moment because he was the one who said, "Don't look at me," as if, "Don't look into my soul. Don't try and break me," because in a way, he is. He, he's so messed up that there is it's like everybody has a vulnerable point everybody has a soft point that could mm. just destroy them in any moment and I think that she kind of knew where it was she kind of knows that there's 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 a man in there that she could c control and manipulate maybe she's just kind of realising what it is that she can what, how it is that she's going to get through it all mm. I don't know it's weird but it's funny because nothing's really talked about the, the son and the, uh, the, the about her son it's not really a thread through the movie. No, so it's just... Um, it, I suppose it's the only reason why she's putting up with what she's putting up with, because he's got her son. Yeah. But why? Why Why does he have her? Why, why does he have the son? Well, we don't know. It's part of the uh, the ambiguity of Lynch, you know. Why, 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 would it, why would that be? But then I suppose that's not really what's important. Isn't it? Well, it, well, I suppose it for is her, for her character. World. It yeah. is, but as the story is, we're just seeing like a little glimpse of a, of time, a little passage of time where yeah. we're counting the clock and 
God, stumbles upon stumbles upon this and then gets himself in too deep. Yeah, which is quite brave because you don't see the kidnapping. No, you don't. You only see the aftermath when they're reunited at the end. Yeah, you don't see her husband's ear get cut off. No, no, and he's in there when we when we find him later. Yeah, at the very end. Yeah, yeah, which is that that that's the scene that stays with me the most. The very ending. Yeah, when when he goes in and he sees the guy, the the the, the cop in the yellow. Yeah. Standing standing there. Is well, he a cop? Yeah, yeah, he's a crooked cop, and he's but got he's like just, a bit of brain. Yeah, but he's just school. standing there. It's like it's like a one of those subdural hematoma patients where they they operate on the brain to a point where he's actually still able to just stand up. Yeah. And he still has complete control over his muscles and his body, and yet he's just standing there. And it's bizarre. It's like. The, the choices made in this movie are, are astonishing. Why? Yeah. Why not? Why not? You know, the easiest thing to do was to just lie him on the ground and make him look dead. But stand him up. What a headbutt! Yeah. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, but he's not quite dead, is he? He's just sort of. Yeah. He's, he's, he's on the there. edge. He's on the edge, but just yeah, he's just stood there. With the radio on him, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And that and the the whole radio is the reason why Carl uh, McLaughlin is able to get a get a ahead of him. Get, yeah, get and him hide in the closet. And again. Hide in the closet again, and then um, and then surprise him. But uh, it's quite funny how how that evolved because you're kind of really with him. Then you're really excited, and you think yes. But then the problem is, is that he stays in the closet for such a long time. There's such a tension building there. And you're kind of like, come on, go, he's, he's in the room now. Just go. Just don't, don't, just just leave. Just leave. Yeah. Just get out of there. Well, when he, he goes into that room, he runs in and gets the copper's gun, doesn't he? And then yeah. he hides back in and he's got the, yeah. and he's waiting. He's waiting. <sighs> what a film. <laughs> and, oh, my wife was destroyed at the end of it. She's like, was she? she was, um, yeah, she's like, I, I, it's all happy at the end. She hated it, but she couldn't keep her eyes off it. Yeah. That's the thing about it. I mean, I mean, uh, and, and afterwards, I said, uh, "That's great. Do you do you want to watch another one? <laughs> do you, I want to watch Video Drum now. Do you want to watch that?" <laughs> she goes, "What's Video Drum?" I said, she, she, "Actually, don't. I don't want to ask. I'm going up to bed." <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, you know, you know, I love her to watch these movies because, in in a way, it's like Lost Highway. Yeah, which is the film that follows after Twin Peaks, isn't it? Yeah, because he has quite a break between films to do Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, it was good because um, was Twin Lost Peaks. Highway like eighty eight maybe? No, 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 ninety uh, ninety two, ninety three. Well, Twin Peaks by Walt was me ninety two. Right, so it must be ninety four, ninety five. Uh, it was definitely in the era of when I was watching Barry Norman's film, which was after ninety three mm. onwards, because. Uh, I just remember it coming out and the, the picture of the road and, the, and that kind of like well, that looks interesting. That looks who, who is David Lynch? I don't even know no. who he is. I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, Blue Velvet was such a a milestone movie for him because it really did pan out the future of all the films and the reason why we're able to talk about such great films such as Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive. Um, yeah, legendary. I hope he never stops. Well, he's doing Twin Peaks at the minute. I know. Isn't that exciting? It is. I'm <laughs> nervous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're anxious. And X-Files as well is, is, is coming through as well. And that's it's like so many good things to look forward to next year. Next year. Yeah. My God. 
So we'll keep this podcast going until at least next year. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're not. We're not going. Do you know what? We are gonna. We're gonna have the day. I think for that. Yeah. Absolutely. When those when those both come out, it's going to be one heck of a podcast talk. Yeah. So uh, are you are you happy with Blue Velvet? Is there, well, anything, just... is there anything that that bothers you about the film? Not necessarily. No, absolutely not. Great joy ride. That that was a fright, frightening uh, thing. Yeah, and again, it's all Lynch is just so good with like soundscapes and light and dark and stuff, you mm. know. <clears throat> and you never see where they're driving to or anything. You just keep seeing the lights going over Kyle's face and yeah. stuff. And yeah, it's just so horrible. But we we should talk about when they go to Dean Stockwell's apartment. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The which is it's quite interesting because there's a lot of uh, background story there with result with the um in relation to in dreams and the Roy Orbison soundtrack that yeah. kind of crept in there and it's just such a striking scene isn't it when Dean Stockwell starts singing well mime into in dreams and then you're just seeing Dennis Hopper's face Frank Rude's face getting off on it yeah, well, at first he's, like, getting really upset and, you know, it's really affecting him and he starts to get angry again, doesn't he, and furious, and then he's like, right, turn it off. And, yeah. and but the, the funny thing is, you know, when after the, the joyride and they arrive in that apartment where there's there's an old lady there who's kind of like a quaint little old lady and, and all of a sudden I felt safe. Really? I thought, oh, thank God. I mean, usually criminals like that, they take them to dank, dark, underground uh, subway stations or something like that or somewhere where an old you know burnt out factory or something and then they have the the whole killing thing you know yeah. you you kind of think that that's what it's going to lead to that he's going to be brutally murdered or um yeah but y- y- everything that, that you think is horrific they take them to they take him to this apartment and there's this quite little old lady in this kind of kind of a homely kind of a family just having a little bit of a party, a bit of a get together. Yeah. And I felt safe. I felt, yeah, Carl's going to get out of this easy. There's a little old lady there. He can just hide behind her, and she'll just she'll yeah, just I, slap Dennis with a handbag, see, and Dennis will say, "I'm sorry." I felt safe uh, I didn't. until Dean Stockwell um, came out the, uh, in, in his full makeup, and I mm. thought, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> then I thought, well, the little old lady doesn't really have a, ch- a chance of helping Kyle here. He's just so bizarre the way yeah. you know the way he portrays that character. Reminds me, of. reminds me of Lost Highway. The uh, the guy at the party. Yeah, the guy with the pale face. Yeah, pale think, face man. And David Lynch has a bit of a fascination. I think he had with, with Fire Walk with me with of, with people who are kind of like mimes. Um, but distorted versions of them, like mm. clowns, but not clowns. Um, it's kind of like the, the, these. These are the elements of the freak show that he wanted to then put into the, the dystopia and the unusual weirdness of Twin Peaks, and and I, I can see where he was leaning towards with that. Yeah, the, the whole yeah. obscurity, the the otherworldly kind of perception of what this character is. And yeah. uh, the unpredictability of that, not knowing what what he's capable of, what's going to happen. This is like this is sort of like a precursor to Twin Peaks, really. Very much so. Like I said, every time you see a truck go by that's carrying loads of logs from cut down trees, all I could think of was Twin Peaks. And it's a, you see it, I think two or three times, there's massive truck going through the town to One. somewhere else. And you just feel like it's on its way to Twin Peaks. It's, it's, it's nice like to... the film is bridging the gap. Before, nice. before Twin Peaks, you know. And I like that. I like that. Yeah. One one of these days, my log will have something to say about this. 
That's not quite the same quote. Um, so, yeah. Who's the lady with the lug? Oh, we call the lug lady. <laughs> but that's perfect. I mean, he, he, he likes to have characters that don't have names, but they are named purely as a label depending on what they look like. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that guy out of Lost Highway is called the Pale Face Man. I'm pretty sure that's his. The Pale Face Man. Name. Or the. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. So in dreams, um, originally was supposed to be sung by D- Dennis Hopper. Right. Um, Dennis Hopper was supposed to be to have that number, and he um, he took it home and he sang. That he learnt all the lyrics and learnt the song uh, with Dean Stockwell at the same time to help him out. And what happened was, is during the rehearsal, Dennis Hopper started to sing in dreams, and then all of a sudden, Dean Stockwell came out from the side of another microphone. Uh, much to David Lynch's surprise, this, he wasn't expecting this. And then all of a sudden, um, Booth starts to Frank Booth starts to react to Dean Stockwell in that emotional way, as yeah. if as if no, 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 he's got it. Let him do it. Let him do it. And I was like, really, he, he just went into that character. David Lynch sat there and saw this as Dean Stockwell just completely nailed the song. And he goes, "That's it. This is what I want. This is what I want in my movie. This is right. perfect. You guys have got it." And said, uh, so obviously it was manipulation because it's like Dean really, really, really wanted to sing this song. Yeah. And he decided that he was going to do it. And Dennis said, "Yeah, go on, you do it. You have this." So it was, it was really good to, that they were actually able to have that freedom. And I think David Lynch has relaxed a lot more since Blue Velvet to, because he's able to let his actors do things that he didn't expect. Because you kind of expect uh, Lynch to be quite a control freak when it comes to every single thing being exactly what's in his mind. But a lot of it is art is free and it's open to a, a expression. I'm pretty sure, yeah. He'll have in his head exactly what he wants to happen, but if on set something else happens, yeah, yeah I'm sure he'd, he'd remember that's what artists do. Which I think is, in, is an incredible freeing thing that, that he's, and that's why, again, he's so successful because he does let people just feel out the characters mm. but then he d- he's not done a whole bunch of films has he he hasn't but done that many the best ones don't I mean mm. I think prolific directors tend to just kind of do so many films that they, they how can you get invested in anything well, he does so much some of the other things he has his art his music he has his funnily enough I, uh, masterclass I, as well I, yeah well I've got his album um, Crazy Clown Time and I put it on at the shop yeah I, to play it on the shop yeah and I, one of the customers asked me to turn it off because it was scaring them <laughs> wow because it is very Zambian but industrial and like his films gets under you that's why I want I strike an image in Blue Velvet um, when he part, when they first go to uh, Frank's places you know that big warehouse building Yes, and they're sort of walking around it, and you just see this massive spotlight on the side of the building with all the sort of machinery just working, like a silhouette of it. Yes, yes, what an incredible image. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and um, I've have seen that as well myself going around Manchester. That kind of image, and I think I took a film of, of a brewery that was that was spewing out all of its excess yeah. um, stuff from the filter filtration system into a truck, and that was glistening with the sun going through it and I and there was steam and smoke, smoke coming from the, from the device inside and it was like this weird alien thing that I'd never seen before and it was beautiful and I, and I kept on thinking remember this spot because Andy and I are going to have to come back here and right. because it's it that kind of thing yeah. it's like they, they, it's still it's still accessible to find these things and I think that's, that's one of those things that he does he looks for things he goes my god this is it and I can imagine that would have been 
Well, and so especially the earlier stuff, oh, the man. industrial stuff was always part of his films. Like Race yeah. Ahead is full of that. Yeah, Met, big metal structures but and Twin Peaks. The intro has the uh, the a lot of industry as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all the log making machinery and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it is, yeah. He's he's not afraid to just put it out there and and to, to find things. What do you think of the end? It's quite graphic, isn't it? It blows the back of his head off. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. It, it's uh, yeah. It, it's final. It's very final. That David Lynch doesn't like open endings. I've noticed. Mm. He, he likes things to be final. I just forgot how graphic it was. Obviously, yeah. Frank, you know, he, Frank thinks he's in the back bedroom, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, because he gets on the radio and says, "Detective, I'm on the back. I'm in the back bedroom." You know, which is clever. Which is clever because obviously Frank Booth's got a radio on him, and then Frank's like. Yeah. You stupid! Fuck! You didn't know. He, he calls him out. Yeah. He calls him out on it. Yeah. So he does it anyway. He looks around for him, and he obviously Frank realizes he's in the in the closet. The moment he opens it, Kyle's got a gun in his face. Boom! And then just looks at the back of his head, just blows, it explodes, it explodes out, yeah, out, and he yeah. drops. Perfect. And it's it's kind of it reminds me of a Cronenberg kind of explosion, like body horror type thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was. He David Lynch is not known for that body shot horror not really, really. no he, not well really. he, he like, like in Lost Highway when that guy falls onto the table and his head just goes right into the table and then he's just stopped and he's there with his head in that table you know I think he it, I it's not it. body horror no no like it's, it's just Cronenberg, kind of, but no. you know it's more so realistically yeah. based on reality I think yeah. but as if yeah. the ending uh, of it is like a dream everything is perfect Exactly, which kind of is full circle. Everything yeah. is back on the surface. His again. dad's fine. Yeah, he's with uh, the girl. He's got the girl. Yeah, and you know when he's like he sat in the garden, he's just looking up at that bird chirping. He just smiles. It's just but everything and is back to just beautiful. The grass has grown again, and the yeah. turf the turf is is all good, and, and it uh, just it ends, life is fine. Yeah, and it ends on the flowers. You see the beautiful sky, and then you just see the child run up to. Dorothy and give her a hug and she's got a kid back and she's happy everybody's happy and it yeah. ends it's a beautiful yeah. ending but it it's like dreamlike it's yeah because everything is everything that has happened like you say it sets up like a dream and then it goes underground and then it kind of goes into that quirky murder mystery um, sleuth yeah. thing Pink Panther and then all of a sudden it just goes down, yeah, down, 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 horrific. down. So it, it's it's the it's the roller coaster ride that really goes down, 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 and then it just comes straight up, and you know you know it's over. Then. Yeah, it, it's it's not as if he's he's gonna hold you down till the end till the credits. He he's let you go. Interestingly, though, I waited to the end of the credits because you wanted to see when Magneto was going to come into it yeah that's what it was <laughs> I wanted to see what Thanos was going to do <laughs> but no, you, we wanted to see the bloopers and the outtakes or the David Lynch song yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah no I just and I seem to do that with Lynch films like you just they, they stay sort of with the me a little bit so I just I need to get through the credits to yeah. sort of get some equilibrium back and then I'm interesting. okay that's interesting that yeah yeah. I've done it with pretty much the first time I see all these films I pretty much the film finishes like yeah. Twin Peaks Fire Won't Me finish and I was like flawed yeah. so I just watched the credits for a while <laughs> but the weird thing is is like Blue Velvet is, is an incredible film and it's weird to have a film that, that it's that good and you can say it's not his best 
No, but it's called it's called Blue Velvet. I mean, the title doesn't really kind of evoke a lot of that kind of excitement and the hysteria. Ooh, Blue Velvet. It's the you know in terms of mainstream as well. It's not. It, it's it's nicely tucked in in that kind of area where people don't really want to touch it. Because but it was that song though. It's Blue Velvet. The song yeah, that made song, him yeah. thought about you know where he came up with the idea of this, but yeah. not the original fifties version, the sixty two version. It's all Roy Orbison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was Roy Orbison. Who did was it? The, remake no? of it now I forget who it was now oh are you kidding me no no he did in dreams that's where it obviously yeah in dreams oh, right, okay. blue velvet because it was someone had done like a version of it and it's that version that really got Lynch thinking and got under his skin was and that's it, where it all come from was it Frankie Valley or something like that was he the one who originally did it or is he uh, the one who did the, re- the... It's, it's, it's the thing is it's the song kind of reminds me of Blue Moon it kind of it, it's a, a, it's not just a song it is a part of the movie mm. and it kind of really feels like it's it, it belongs there and uh, of course Roy Orbison uh, yeah his uh, it was um, in, dreams. Did, in yeah. dreams of course but he said Roy Orbison actually didn't like the film well no because you can understand <laughs> yeah, you know like the candy covered clown we call the Sandman yeah but the in dreams it, it kind of meant something personal to to him so he, he kind of watched it again and kind of like just held back his his own personal idea of what in dreams means to him, and then mm. he got it, and then he kind of he say, he apparently said to Lynch again that you know no that's actually a really good film. Well, you know Mark Kermode didn't like Blue Velvet when he first saw it, and he wrote a bad review of it. Yeah, he Manchester hated and slated and got it. Yeah, punched in the face. He did. He got in hit the face. For not liking Blue Velvet. <laughs> I know it's the power incredible. of that film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I can understand how easy it is to kind of dislike this film as well. There is—it's kind of like on the edge. You either get into it, or you can just—it's so easy to kind of just. Well, you always get leave. people jump on the misogyny bandwagon. Yeah, they're saying because she's treated so badly in this film. Yeah, that it's misogynistic. But for most of the part, she's the person with the power. She's got the power over Frank when she's singing. Yeah. She's got all the power over Kyle. He's, he's butter in her, he's in her hand. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, after all, if you want to make a film about a damaged woman, it, it blame the director. He must be getting off on it. You know, it, it, seem, it doesn't seem to make any sense when people are like that about film. Because there's some films that are blatantly misogynistic, Michael Bay, but this isn't. It yeah. isn't. You know, but yeah. people, when you see a woman being treated really badly, yeah. it, it, people will always say, oh, it's just misogynistic. Yeah. Interestingly, a film where a guy's being raped. No, no one ever says it's anti-man. It's uh, it's bad towards men. He is talking about a subject matter of about a film, and like you said, you know, when you do see Isabella Rossellini naked in the bush, uh, in the in the shrubs, yeah, you do not sit there getting off on it. You sit there and you feel as though you need to protect and help. And that's exactly what the characters did, and that's kind of what we did as an audience. Yeah. And if, if if anybody else says otherwise, you know, it's just, it was just just so that they can get Isabella Rossellini naked, then they're just fools and idiots. It's missing the point. Yeah, missing the I'm point. Sorry. And that's that's people kind of get on something because they're all emotionally entangled in in the wrong meaning. Mm. He got told that the film had to be no more than two hours long. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons why you could get final cut. It's exactly two hours long. <laughs> And there's a part where Carmel Clockton says, I'm in the middle of a mystery. It's a strange world out there, but I'm in the middle of a mystery. One hour point. Directly in the middle of the film. <laughs> you see, that's that's Lynch making a point. 
Yeah. That's making a point, but doing it in a, in a very kind of concealed way. Yeah, yeah. which is great. And Bad started his his, uh, his relationship with Lynch in this film. The yeah. uh, musician who famously wrote the score for um, Twin Peaks and every, Peaks, every other film yeah. that he did in this. And yeah, it was, it was a Holland Drive as well, didn't he? Yeah, and he, he did it as a favour uh, because a friend of his, um, the, well, originally, but before, but before Blue Velvet, Lynch kind of used a lot of uh, kind of iconic music uh, in films or soundscapes that he created himself. He was very much involved in that and he kind of didn't want to kind of give too much control away to musicians or artists to... Because usually what would happen is you'd have your film, it would then go to the studio to be edited and then he'd hire somebody to do the score. Mm. He'd hire somebody to do the score and whatever they did, hopefully, would be right. And Lynch was never keen on that idea. He would never, and so meeting Angelo for the first time, was it Angelo? Angelo. Angelo, yeah. Meeting him here, it, it kind of gave him a bit of a relief because he knew that he could use him for everything and know yeah. that he could get the emotional tone of every film and every thought. our world and the world was dark because there weren't any robins and the robins represented love and for the longest time there was just this darkness and all of a sudden thousands of robins were set free and they flew down and brought this blinding light of love seem like that love would be the only thing that would make any difference and it did a candy colored clown they call the sandman tiptoes to my room every night just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper go to sleep everything is alright I close my eyes then I drift away into the magic night. I softly say, Rabbits. Rabbits. Okay. Where do you start with rabbits? What is it? Okay. I would definitely say it's a satire against sitcoms. Or not against, but a satire on uh, A sitcom. satire on sitcoms. That's true, yeah. it's uh, it, it began as a series of eight or nine episodes that uh, David Lynch posted on his own website. Yeah. And it was kind of like just a... Uh, it wasn't... It was just a side project, really, wasn't it? It was nothing to it. Was, it was an exhibition of of. Yeah, well, you'd like to say you put it in. They're in Inland Empire, aren't they? They're like a sitcom in the background of Inland Empire. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it was made just for that or because he made rabbits. Because I'm quite surprised Naomi Watts is in it. Because I had a feeling that Naomi Watts couldn't stand Lynch after what he made her do. When was Rabbits made? 2002. 
The thing is, I wonder if the whole Mulholland, Mulholland Drive thing about her being um, somewhat abused under the role and, and kind of forced to do things that she didn't necessarily want to do. I, I think that hype sells a movie. And I think that sometimes negative hype um, I kind think of, Naomi Watts is difficult to work with a little bit as quite well. Quite possibly, yes, but it, it, it didn't do any damage. Did you ever I think well, not this one put her on the map, really? Yeah. Because before this, what, she was in Tango? <laughs> she was a black like her girl in Tango, yeah. Oh, with yeah, Laurie Petty. But it, it didn't do any harm to the press to, 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 to say that she, that she had difficulty with Lynch and Lynch said it with her same with her but maybe this was just one of those things where she she kind of realised maybe that, that what had happened but by that time that, that story had already gone it's, it's kind of like you know sometimes a little slice in your life like if you had a disagreement with somebody one week and then for the, for about two years you kind of just get over it and you just carry on working with each yeah, other yeah. but because that story was so profound and everybody liked to weave it in and out of every single narrative um, discussion regarding Hall Holland Drive that it kind of just lives on as a, as a as a conflict, yeah, yeah. So I think that you know sometimes adults get over things and they move on and they like to to continue to work. But at least in this one, she was under no fear of of being, uh, you know, of doing anything that she didn't want to do. Well, there doesn't appear to be a narrative. <laughs> no. Um, a lot of people speculate that because they they say things in very discordant, discordant, dis- discordant yeah. way, and um, a lot of people think if you took the whole script and then jumbled it up, there's the sense there is as if he had a script writ- written and then he just jumbled it up. Yeah. So there is, a, there are talking it's a to each other. mythology, and yeah, and, and but yet nobody, because I had a look on the internet because I thought about that. I thought, I bet you somebody out there has done a, a reassemble uh, of the script, or a complete re-edit. Um, but you'd literally have to take every single phrase, fill your room up with it on the wall, and then just kind of jumbled it all up it would, it would send you insane it'd be like finding the Zodiac killer yeah oh <laughs> it must be after 7pm I have heard those things being said before I will bet you are both wondering. It is still raining. I, I would literally say, just give it to Charles Manson, he'll figure it out. He's got time on his hands, he's got the space. Yeah, and he's, yeah, <laughs> as much as he tries, he's not going to get out, is he? Yeah, it's, yeah so, but yeah, it is, there's, there's no real common sense, but then you kind of get the, the tone and feeling that everything that is said is somehow linked anyway. Yeah. So in your own, in your own mind, you kind of, you hold on to what you need to remember. Okay, so the, the story is, <laughs> sorry, sorry. What what you see on the screen are two um, female rabbits and a male rabbit. Yeah, and the humanoid figures just as rabbits. Um, They talk nonsensical dialogue to each other. There's like a laugh track that keeps coming in. So what does she say? 
what time is it? And then <laughs> yeah, a massive laugh. Yeah. And then... There's the cheering and the, there's the uh, the whole um, the sitcom trope of uh, whenever a character enters a scene, yeah. there's a big clap and cheer. It's but, like, oh, but yeah. But nothing happens until the clapping stops. They, then they carry on. And then they carry Yeah, and then they sort of walk and then just sit down. And then they could be sat down That's saying... The fo- there's the fourth wall relationship there. Yeah, and then they could be sat down saying weird stuff and then he'll stand up and then sit back down again. Yeah, that's it. Um, the only thing all three of them have in common is that soliloquy that they sort of say. They, they go, talk, to, they yeah. go to the front of the stage and give this poetry poetry thing, and it's which about, each one adds a little bit more. Yeah, it kind of it kind, it kind of rhymes, but it builds, and that's yeah. that's the only kind of line that you can draw on the graph to say that there is some sort of a, an evolution in the storyline. Um, and it's about barbed wire burning, yeah. and um, of course the two eyes of Satan. There's a lot of references to hell, and um, yeah, which is kind of okay. It's, that ambient soundtrack to it, it just gets under your skin. It does, and it, it, it it's relentless. It's it's brilliant. So yeah, I watched the whole lot, the whole forty five minutes, just straight. <laughs> I watched through. it three times. Oh my man, man. Uh, and I'm fine. Look at me. I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> that blood bubble in your nose. <laughs> but there's um, the burning in the wall. There's the burn. Yeah. Burn, burn, and then electricity is kind of a theme as well. And, uh, Interesting. The After they give blur. that soliloquy, they, they fade out. Yeah. Well, they fade out because there were actually there's actually four episodes here. No, I don't mean the thing fades out. They disappear. Oh, they fade they out. They fade yeah. out. But you still... So it's like what's real all the time. Yeah. Because the stage is real. And he just gives this big talk and then he just disappears. So yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where it, it's definitely an art piece. Yeah, oh god, yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's not supposed to be there on mainstream television once a week <laughs> to be enjoyed. Um, the tropes are all there for sitcom. Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, at the end, they kind of all huddle on the couch. Yeah, that's like the end where they all come to. It's like the end of a Cosby <laughs> show. Yeah, which kind well, of makes it a bit disturbing reference these days. But like, uh, yeah, but you know, it's, it, maybe it's what happens. In, in the... but like towards yeah. the end, there's that freaky thing where you yeah. hear a scream, and then the door just opens by itself. Yeah, yeah. Very slowly, and what what is the devil thing? What is it? And you can't understand what it's saying, can you? A lot of people kind of allude to the idea that this is something to do with hell. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of theories, and, that, and this is the beautiful thing about this is that it's all about interpretation. Yeah. What we are saying on, the, on on this in terms of a review, we can't really review this. No, no. But we can kind of tell you what we see and what we think and what other people have been suggesting that this is actually a reference to hell, and that these characters are actually in purgatory or yeah. in some sort of a hell, and that's Ooh. maybe a kind of a an idea of, of that sitcoms that characters in a sitcoms are all kind of like locked in this this eternal hell themselves because they are just characters in a film in in a series. None of them go to work. <laughs> None of them actually have jobs. They just go 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 around doing the mon- most mundane well, details. You don't know because he sort of comes back from somewhere, doesn't he? And yeah. You assume he's come back from work, but we never know. The, the characters in sitcoms they always come back from yeah. work, but they're never actually living a life of work they don't have breakfast and go out and you know they always have, seem to be at home pretty much all the time mm. in this uh, no matter what time of day they're or what day it is they're always kind of just appearing they're arriving in their home um so maybe that's kind of the idea that that sitcoms represent a kind of a, a hellish reality where you you literally just stuck in this box mm. and this is it 
This is yeah. You're just going to repeat life over and over and over and over and over. I'm just doing things yeah. that can make people laugh. But n none of the none of the actual lines that um, bring about the laugh track are actually funny. It's funnier than anything in the Big Bang Theory. Um, it's funnier <laughs> than it is currently to the point where it's yeah it's ridiculously unfunny. The other theories are that uh, that they're actually dead, that they're ghosts, right, and that they're just kind of incarnate spirits that just inhabit this room, and uh, they just kind of repeat parts of their lives that. Uh, yeah, maybe it's because I watched it three times that I kind of get the idea of repetition. repetition yeah. <laughs> um, that they, they just just live in this in this kind of a bit of purgatory, and the the guy in the green suit, the man, yeah, in the green they suit, talk about, yeah. is the living person who they have, they're aware of, right. and that we no, don't see because. You know, I don't think I got that from it. That was another theory. Yeah, um, I don't think I got that from that. Yeah, it's just. I weird. definitely took the satire on the sitcom. Yeah, that's that obviously it's obviously there. Um. Yeah, it's just a, a strange. It, I find it really freaky. Yeah, I think I think you it's find really anything weird. that you don't you can't understand. It has to be comes kind of a freakiness to it. Yeah, things you don't understand because the thing is, we we like to to kind of solve problems. We like to solve mysteries, and that's why art is generally uh, interpretive art, especially surrealism, mm. is is way out there in terms of getting people buzzed about things and making them question it and getting them to discuss it over and over again and come up with endless theories. And this is what this is. It's it's an incredible piece of art that has brought about a lot of debate, mm. but through critical acclaim. I don't think people I think people are afraid to say that it's that it's rubbish. They're they you know yeah, because if you say it's rubbish, that means oh, you don't get it. You don't get it, but then, but then it's not. It's hard to get it. There's nothing to get, and I think that you can't be afraid to say that 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 you get what you want to get from it. You can't just blanket canvas everybody with the same ideal. Mm. Um, what you get from it is what you get from it, and I think if I ever watched it again, which I probably will, because I think the last time do you remember when we watched this? Was it last year? Yeah, because it gives the idea to write a similar piece. To do some surrealist theatre, which we've written but haven't performed yet. No. Um, which kind of goes on our um, let's wait until the boy goes to school. Yeah, <laughs> list. List. We, we've got, we're going to have so many so many projects to go on to. I know, yeah. It's like we've got surreal shorts, we've got a sequel to CACO3 that we want to work on yeah. some short films. And that's not um, something visual. I've literally bought a pair of surreal shorts. <laughs> I'm going to work. Work on a few shorts. <laughs> it would not be a short. Mm. A short about shorts. A short about shorts. Yeah. <laughs> the short shorts. Short shorts. So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm quite happy with, with what a rabbit is. I'm just glad it's out there because it does kind of inspire you. It does. And I think because it's just one locked off camera the whole time. Yeah. No movement in camera. The only difference is the difference in light. Yeah. And that's the only one when it changes to red, when the devil speaks, comes through. Um, which, if you notice, is like a hologram, isn't there? Yeah, that's there is. Yeah. And then Look, she comes out with two lights. Looks like an upside down chin. Yeah. Kind of a, a potato thing. And then the only other time is when you hear that scream, isn't it? It goes black. And then because the door's open, you're black, but some light comes in through the door. 
It kind of and reminds then the lights you just of, come yeah. back on again. I even like the way the camera goes out of focus and has to focus back in. Yeah, focuses, and, and it's like that's really breaking the the, the, the it, that becomes meta because yeah. it's like, well, that's a camera. That's obviously a camera working there. Yeah, um, which kind of harks you back to um, to when we were talking about uh, how to be a god. How the camera beca- is is a, is is a pair of eyes looking yeah. at something. But where are we looking at? What are we looking at? A set? Are we looking at uh, a sitcom? Are we just looking into into the mind of something? There's so many possibilities. Um, incidentally, he did film this in the back garden um, of his LA home. He built the set there and invited everybody there to to film it. So it was quite an intimate setting, and he was obviously able to figure out the lighting. In his own time, yeah. And um, unfortunately, because he wanted to have live sounds on the set, that the neighbours were a little bit annoyed. But screw them. I'm sure they'll be fine. Yeah, I'm go, sure hey, I'm David Lynch. Hey, I mean, I'm Lynch. Come on, I'm 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 doing a Lynch movie. Okay, don't worry about me. <laughs> Here's some coffee. Here's some coffee. Damn fine coffee. Yeah, I need to try his coffee. He's got his own brand of coffee, hasn't he? He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To. I think, um, yeah, I think he can just live on Lynch. I think he should just bring up, bring his own lifestyle house. You know, he's like you can buy dental meditation. You should buy. You should be able to buy um, an already fully furnished Lynch house, full of Lynch food and Lynch drink and a bookshelf of all of his movies. You know the secret. What a a hotel! Yeah, you know the secret cinema. I've heard of that. No. It's really expensive, but it's like the most immersive experience. Like they've done a secret cinema of Empire Strikes Back, and it's like walking into the set. You know, it's cold and there's snow everywhere, yeah. and then you watch the film and you're at cinema. I love immersive. I love immersive cinema because y- yeah, and yeah. It's, I don't know why they call it secret cinema because everyone knows about it. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd love a secret cinema Lynch. That's why I thing. like what in, at Halloween. I love the idea of opening up the cabin there and just having horror movies, just what playing horror movies through on the on a, on a projector. Yeah. Um, whilst whilst trick or treaters keep coming around, I mean, yeah. I'd be, that'd I'd, be great. And I've I've done immersive cinema accidentally as well whilst watching um, Thirteen Days about the Cuban Missile Crisis. I watched that whilst flying over Russia. I remember saying, yeah. And that that that's the kind of thing that I like to play with. When it happens, you will know it. So yeah, blue velvet, incredible, and, and rabbits, rabbits. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be. It's 
whatever you want it to be. It's a strange world. <laughs>